Well, we are continuing our series on uh, seeing Jesus in the Minor Prophets, and this morning uh, we come to the book of Jonah. Uh, Jonah was written sometime between the 8th and the 9th centuries B.C. Uh, the, the biblical background is 2 Kings 14, 23 to 28, um, during this reign of Jeroboam uh, II. Uh, if you're not familiar with Jonah, um, you know this about Jonah. Uh, he's a prophet of the Lord. Um, he's called by God to go preach against the city of Nineveh uh, because of its wickedness. And Jonah's response to God's call on him to go preach to Nineveh is to run away. He goes actually in the opposite direction. He boards a boat that's headed for Tarshish, which is just the exact opposite direction of Nineveh. And uh, what happens is he, he boards this boat, and the Lord sends a storm um, that has these seasoned sailors terrified. Well, they all figure out that, um, that the reason that they have the storm is because Jonah's in the boat with them. And so they throw Jonah overboard. Um, he kind of voluntarily goes, um, and the storm immediately stops. And then the sailors turn towards the Lord in repentance. Then, what you probably know Jonah most for, this huge fish comes, and it swallows Jonah whole in this act of judgment and mercy from God. And inside the belly of the fish, Jonah repents. Jonah turns back towards the Lord, and then the fish vomits Jonah onto dry land, and he goes to Nineveh, and he finally obeys God. And then what happens is nothing short of miraculous. The people of Nineveh call on God, they turn towards him in repentance, and God doesn't destroy them. In fact, what God provides them is mercy and love and his compassion. And that brings us really to our passage this morning that we're looking at from the book of Jonah. Um, when we read Jonah's response that we're going to read here in a few minutes, uh, we're like one of my favorite SNL sketches from Weekend Update um, that used to happen in the, in the early 2000s uh, called Really? by Seth and Amy. Uh, Seth and Amy would look at some news um, story, whether it was a, a, a pop culture issue or a political issue, and they would expose how ridiculous someone was, was, was being or something was, um, how ridiculous it was by commenting on it. And then they would say, really? And my favorite one, um, sidebar, my favorite was from 2009 when uh, Kanye West um, went and interrupted Taylor Swift's uh, a video music awards acceptance speech um, and he started ranting and raving about how Beyonce should have won instead of Taylor Swift and and Seth and Amy had this news story up and they go really Kanye um, the VMAs don't matter at all and you're going to go humiliate this 19 year old girl so Kanye if you see a grandmother with a coffee mug that says world's greatest grandmother and you think you know a better grandmother don't slap it out of her hand um, <laughs> and they end with, really, really, is that how you're going to act? And that's, that really is our response when we come to Jonah 4. Um, Jonah chapter 4, we say, really, Jonah? That's what you're going to choose to do? You've been saved by God through these miraculous means through this fish. You've been shown mercy and grace, and you're angry over God saving 120,000 people. Really? But the writer of the book of Jonah has masterfully crafted the story. I encourage you, go home and read it today. It's only four chapters. It won't take you very long at all. Um, 
He's masterfully crafted this story, and he has us here in this moment right where he wants us because that is exactly where we need to be. So please read with me, Jonah, starting in chapter 3, verse 10. We'll read all through chapter 4. This is the, words, the, the word of the Lord given for his glory and for our good. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose... God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy to us. Uh, We thank you for the story of Jonah. Uh, We thank you that it's true that... um, It is from you and that you've given it to us and your people down through the ages so that we can know you and your heart for your people and your world better. Father, we pray that you would be at work in us even this morning. Soften us. Help us to be attentive to your spirit, to your word, that we might know you better, that we might love you more, that we might know your love for us more, and in turn it might transform us to love those around us. We thank you for your goodness and your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, one of my favorite popcorn action movies uh, came out a long time ago. It's called Armageddon. Um, and there's this awesome scene where Bruce Willis, who's the head of this offshore oil drilling company, uh, is angrily walking around the, the oil drill searching for Ben Affleck, one of his employees, one of his top workers, in fact. And Bruce Willis is angry because the previous night he had shut down this drill because it was unsafe. And when he got to work the next morning, he saw that Ben Affleck had opened up the drill and they had been drilling on it. And so he's in um, arguing with Ben Affleck. and, And when they're in the midst of this argument, the drill that he had shut down that Ben Affleck had opened starts to explode. Um, serious things start to go wrong. There's explosions. People are, are almost getting killed. There's mass destruction. There's great damage. And so what happens is Bruce Willis fires Ben Affleck uh, because of his negligence, but ultimately because his vision, 
his heart for his, his job did not align with his bosses. And that really brings us to the story of Jonah this morning. Um, Jonah's heart, his vision for God's world do not align with God's heart and his vision. And I think if we're honest, we all struggle with this too. Um, our hearts are often not aligned with God's heart. We, we don't want the things that God wants. We want what we want. We want what we think is best, and we can tend to ignore God. And ultimately, when our hearts are not aligned with God's heart and his vision for the world, um, what happens is, is that we do damage to those around us and ultimately to ourselves. So we this morning, like Jonah, need to experience, need to understand God's grace and his mercy and his character afresh so that our hearts can line up with his, so that we can be renewed, so that we can fully participate in his kingdom work and his purposes of redeeming and renewing our world. So this morning, we're just going to look at two things. We're going to look at Jonah's heart, and we're going to look at God's heart. So first, let's look at Jonah's heart. Uh, first, and we read in verse 1 of chapter 4, um, this seemed very wrong to Jonah, and he became angry. Well, what is it that seemed wrong to Jonah? What is this in, in chapter 4, verse 1? This is God's grace shown to Nineveh. This is God not bringing down destruction on Nineveh, and this is the Ninevites repenting. It literally says um, it was evil to Jonah, exceedingly evil. He became exceedingly angry because Nineveh was shown grace because they repented and they were not destroyed. And then we see the, the curtains pulled back a little bit, and we see why Jonah fled to Tarshish in the first place. Verse 2 says, he prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to stall by fleeing to Tarshish. And then he quotes from Exodus 34 and from Joel chapter 2. He says, I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. He uses this beautiful phrase, this beautiful praise-provoking description of who God is to damn him, to accuse God. And so we're with Seth and Amy again. Really, Jonah? That's how you want to use God's scripture against himself? That's your response? That's your final answer to seeing the Ninevites repent? If we're honest, Jonah's pretty bold here with God. Um, he's really honest with him, and he's angry. And just as an aside, if, if you're angry with God this morning, if you're going through a season where you're just so angry with him, know this. Know that he can handle it. Um, he can handle your honesty. He can handle your anger. I'm not saying that we're supposed to be immature about it, um, but God's big enough to take it. And what the beautiful thing that we see here is that God doesn't smash Jonah in his anger, in his rebellion, and he doesn't do the same with us either. He's gracious, he's compassionate, he's slow to anger, and he gently pursues Jonah, and he gently pursues us too when we're angry. So again, why is Jonah so angry? It's because these Ninevites are Israel's enemy. Um, they're an evil people who do terrible, wicked, and disgusting and horrifying things. They aren't worthy of his God's love and compassion, is what Jonah thinks. 
And Jonah wants a judge, and he wants an executioner. These people need to receive judgment and destruction. And it's really ironic here that if you read through the book of Jonah, um, his prayer here echoes his prayer in chapter 2 where he's in the belly of the fish, and he's turning to the Lord in repentance. His life, his very soul were saved by God. He's brought up from the pit, and he's revived. And how quickly Jonah's forgotten. But now he wants his life that he was just given anew from God to be taken from him. So what we see in Jonah is that he enjoys grace and compassion when it's shown to him, but not to others, and especially not to those people over there, not to the Ninevites of all people. And so now when when grace and mercy is shown to them, people who don't deserve it, people who are unworthy, people who are wicked and enemies of God and his people, Jonah wants his life and his soul taken from him. It's okay for good things to happen to him, but not to other people and especially not to them. Uh, Several years ago, if you had Googled um, LSU Nick Saban, um, the next word that Google wanted to supply for you, it's, it's not true anymore, but the next word that they wanted to supply for you was hate. Um, the reason for that is LSU was led to the national championship by Nick Saban. Um, he gave LSU what they'd wanted for so long. Um, but when he left, many fans at LSU, they hated him, and some continue to hate him to this day, and they don't want him to succeed or anyone else to succeed, especially at Alabama. Um, <laughs> It's great when people latch on to your stories. Um, but the people at LSU, they got what they wanted, right? They got the national championship. They experienced the mountaintop. They experienced the victory. But now they don't want him or anyone else to, to enjoy that. Um, so for, for those of you who aren't college football fans um, or who are mad at me for talking about LSU and bringing up deep pain in your life... Um, I've asked my daughter if I could share this story, and she said it was okay. Um, When Ella turned three, my oldest, um, she had a birthday party. She got a bunch of toys and a bunch of gifts and a bunch of baby dolls. And then the next week, we had some friends from seminary come to visit, and they had a little girl named Lila who um, was just a little bit younger than Ella. And Ella did not want to share her toys, um, did not want to share her gifts with Lila. So we were sitting down for dinner, and Ella pulled out her little chair, and she had all of the toys, all of the dolls that Lila could not play with, um, and she had decided, and she had them all sitting around her. She was actually unable to move and to get up for dinner because the weight of the toys was, was so much that it wouldn't allow her to move. Um, she couldn't tolerate the thought of someone else experiencing and enjoying the gifts that she'd received. Now, why do I tell you these stories? Um, It's because they really expose something deep within all of us, I think. Uh, We read Jonah, and we say, really, Jonah? But don't we see that God is using this passage, um, this book here, to expose the Jonah that really lies within all of us? You know, who are the people or who are the groups that you don't want to see succeed? Um, we're glad to experience God's grace and forgiveness, but who do we want to see destroyed, if we're honest? 
Who do we not want grace and mercy for? Who would, would just make us angry or even confused to see receive the blessings from God and his grace and forgiveness? Jonah would rather see 120,000 people suffer and die rather than have them experience God's grace and love. You know, do we ever, like Jonah, say, no, not them. God's grace isn't, isn't for them. We don't want them to be forgiven. We don't want him to be forgiven or her to be forgiven. We don't want that people to experience God's grace and transformation. It's only when our hearts have experienced the weight of God's mercy and grace that we want, that we begin to want the things that he wants. 2 Peter 3.9 says that God wants no one to perish, but rather everyone to come to repentance. God wants us to see all people, even our enemies, even those people, the way that he does, the way that he sees them. So we continue with Jonah here. God asks him in verse 4, is it right for you to be angry? He says to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? And God, like any good parent in the midst of a temper tantrum being thrown by one of his kids, um, he ignores Jonah's petition to die, and he gets to the heart of the matter. And how does Jonah respond? Verse 5, he leaves. He doesn't, he doesn't answer God. He gets up, he goes out east of the city, he makes a little shelter for himself to see what's going to happen to the city. Jonah, deep down, I think, is still likely and secretly hoping that the Ninevites' repentance isn't real and that this city is going to be destroyed and he's going to have a front row seat for it. And then the Lord continues to show grace to Jonah. And, and he continues to show grace to angry, racist God dishonoring Jonah, and he provides. It's really beautiful, isn't it? I mean, if you think about it, he provides this leafy plant, and he makes it grow up over Jonah, and it gives him shade over his head to ease his discomfort, which is the same word that's used earlier for, for Nineveh's wickedness and their evil. Um, and it's the same word that for the evil that Jonah felt in chapter 4, verse 1. And then Jonah, in verse 6, he's exceedingly happy about the plant. The language here is mirroring um, how he's really glad um, in, with, with, his, with his condition when things are going well for him and how he's exceedingly angry um, when things aren't going his way, his displeasure, his evil with the, with the salvation for the Ninevites. But what we see here is Jonah finally cares about something though, right? He's finally responding to God. He's finally caring about something, but he's only happy when things are going well for him. He doesn't want things to go well for anyone else, only for Jonah. And then what does God do? He provides again. But this time, it's a worm. And this worm chews through the plant so that the plant withers and dies. And then when the sun rises, God provides again and again. This time, it's a scorching east wind. Now, Jonah, alone in the desert, he's experiencing sunburn probably, um, maybe potentially heat stroke, um, maybe he's, he's, you know, doesn't have enough water. Jonah is, is struggling here. He's alone, he's sunburnt, he's, he's in the desert, and he wants to die. And it's here that we see the judgment that Jonah wanted for Nineveh. Uh, it's played out in this plant, and Jonah's angry. He's exceedingly angry. Verse 9 says, I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. 
You know, so we stop and we ask when we're reading Jonah here, you know, like one writer says, what religious monster is this? Um, this living miracle of God's grace disdains his new lease on life. The praise that Jonah freely offered in chapter 2 has so quickly given way to despair and to dispute. And it's here that we see the purpose of this whole story about Jonah. We see the heart of the Lord exposed. Um, We see the heart of the Lord exposed throughout this whole book. Again, go back and read it this afternoon. He extends grace to the sailors. He shows mercy to Jonah in the storm. He shows mercy to Jonah when he's swallowed by the fish. He continues to pursue Jonah, even though his disobedience, his ungratefulness, and he's throwing temper tantrums. He relents from destroying Nineveh, and he extends them grace and mercy. And in his questioning of Jonah in verse 4, he continues to show grace when he asks, is it right for you to be angry? He's talking to, he's continuing to pursue Jonah. And in verses 5 to 11, we see God continuing to pursue Jonah. Words and arguments aren't best here. You know that if you're a parent. Um, So what God is going to do here is he's going to show Jonah his heart and his purposes through this object lesson through Jonah's experience with this plant. Jonah isn't just, or God isn't just demonstrating his power over all creation, uh, over the plants, over the wind, over animals and bugs, although he is doing that. He's inviting Jonah to experience his heart of compassion for Nineveh in the world through this object lesson of Jonah getting and losing the plant. Um, One of my favorite TV shows, um, you can watch it on Netflix, it's called Arrested Development. And there's this great scene, um, this flashback scene where the the father, his name's George Bluth, um, he goes to the fridge to get some milk when his kids are young. um, And there's no milk left. And so he decides he's going to teach his children a lesson about um, the importance of leaving a note. So he calls his friend, um, J. Walter Weatherman, who only has one arm. Um, And he calls him to help him teach his kids this lesson about the importance of leaving a note. So the family's rushing to the the grocery store. The kids are in the backseat fighting and arguing. Um, The dad is talking about how we would be on time, but no one left a note. And so there's no milk. And he's just yelling. There's chaos in the car. And then all of a sudden, J. Walter Weatherman walks out in front of the car and gets hit. And his arm, like, rips off. It's his fake arm. But his arm rips off. There's, like, blood everywhere. And the kids are panicking and screaming. And the dad says, why, why? This poor man would have his arm if only someone left a note. And the kids are freaking out. And then finally he rolls down the window. And J. Walter Weatherman walks up and he goes, and that's why you always leave a note. God isn't using this lesson to Jonah, um, like George Bluth, to manipulate or to coerce Jonah or to coerce or manipulate us. He's not just using his powers uh, to, to mess with Jonah, to get back at him. He's trying to get Jonah to see his heart, to see his compassion for Nineveh. He's trying to get him to see his pain that he would have for Nineveh. God echoes this question from earlier in verse 9, where he says, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And Jonah shows progress this time. He doesn't run away and leave. He actually answers. And he opens himself up to learn about God's heart and experience his grace. And Jonah says, it is. It's right for me to be angry. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. 
Jonah finally feels compassion for something, but it's the wrong thing. It's for this plant. And then the Lord responds graciously and tenderly, you've been concerned. And this word for concern here is compassion. It's pity. It's the same word that's used throughout the book. You've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it and you did not make it grow. It sprang up overnight, it died overnight, and should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals? What God is saying to Jonah here is you're angry enough to die over this plant that died and you didn't do anything to create it. You didn't do anything to garden it. You didn't do anything to make it grow. And then God literally asked Jonah's permission here. May I not have concern? May I not have compassion for the great city of Nineveh? That big, important city where there are more than 120,000 people that I've created. There's more than 120,000 people there that I love because I made them, because they're image bearers. These people are important because they exist, because I made them, and you'd rather see them all die, and you're happy with that. May I not be concerned, may I not be compassionate, but you're angry, Jonah. You're angry over the death of this plant that isn't yours, and these people that you want to see dead are mine. They're my people. I made them. How much more pain How much more anguish would I feel at the destruction of these 120,000 people? Part of why Jonah is so mad here at God's grace shown to Nineveh is because he thinks that Yahweh, he thinks this God is his tribal God, who's only for him, who's only for his people, who's only for the people that act right, who follow him correctly. That's the only God that he's for, the only people he's for. He's not for those people out there, especially those that dishonor, especially those that bring harm to, to, his, to God's people. But God here in the book of Jonah destroys that idea for us. He loves and he has compassion for the whole world, for all people, even and especially those bad people, those bad people that we want to experience destruction How do we know that? Well, we see it here in Jonah, but we also see it fully in the person of Jesus. Jonah feels what might, what God might feel for Nineveh with the death of this plant here. And Jonah's angry and he's compassionate enough to even die for it. But Jonah's death would accomplish nothing. He's alone in the desert. It would just be him outside of the city and him being dead. But in the person of Jesus, we see his compassion, and we see that he's compassionate enough for his people that he actually does die for them. In his death, it's not meaningless like Jonah's would be. Through his death, he becomes all of his people's sin, and he dies to save and to secure his people for himself. He sees us, and he sees those we hate, and he loves, and he loves to death. He loves to the point where he sacrifices himself willingly on the cross. Jesus embodies what God is teaching Jonah here. Jesus, in Luke 19, he sees the city of Jerusalem and he weeps. He has compassion towards his enemies, 
towards those who are going to destroy him in the coming days, towards those who want nothing to do with him, towards those who abandon him and forsake him and mock him and humiliate him and disown him. People around Jesus are constantly saying things like, you're eating with those people? You're, you're touching those people? You're, you're doing what, Jesus? You're forgiving and spending time with those people? John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then verse 17 continues, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The heart of God revealed here in the book of Jonah, the heart of God seen in Jesus is one of love. And it's one of compassion for the world, not one of condemnation and not one of destruction. The book of Jonah ends here with this open-ended question towards Jonah. And we ultimately, we don't know how Jonah responds. But the writer leaves it open for his readers. He leaves it open for us this morning to ask ourselves, how are we going to respond to this God? It's like the father in the the parable of the, the two sons in Luke 15 where the father's outside the party after his younger brother comes back in and they're throwing a big party and, and the father is talking to the angry older brother. God's asking us, will you join me? Will you join me? Align your heart with my heart. Grasp my grace for yourself. Grasp my grace for the world. Will you join me in expanding my kingdom to the lost, to the broken, to those people, to those unworthy people through love and through compassion? Will you come join the party that's happening in Nineveh where 120,000 people are rejoicing or do you want to stay here? Do you want to stay outside of the party alone in your self-righteous anger? God invites us this morning to align our hearts with his to let his grace and compassion fill us and overflow to the world around us, even to our enemies. God is asking us, will you have Jonah's heart or will you have my heart? May we cast aside our, our hearts and our visions and our anger and our prejudices and lay hold of God's heart for his world and his people and grasp his heart of love and compassion this morning. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace to us. We thank you for the story of Jonah, um, for the ways that you have worked uh, to save the city of Nineveh. Uh, We look forward to celebrating with them in glory when you return. Uh, We thank you that that your heart is not one of judgment and, and condemnation, but it's one of compassion and mercy. So, Father, this morning, help us to see your love demonstrated to us through Jesus as we come to this table, that we would taste and see of your goodness and your grace, of your sacrifice for us. Um, It's in Jesus' name that we come. Amen.